Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. principle of kenosis is very much at play throughout the entire biblical narrative. Kenosis is to be emptied of that fallen self-life that the fallen man, be male or female, often grasp for. It's an identity that we are secure in and it's a predictability and a control that we are just addicted to. And so when God comes in and wants to do something in my life, often we uh, clutch and hold on to the self-life to the extent that we many, many, many a time miss out on what God is really after. If you want to grow in the spiritual life, if you're new in the spiritual life or perhaps even you've walked with God for many, many years, there is still growth. And I submit to you, the vast majority of your growth on the positive side in the spiritual life is very much predicated on your emptying this kenosis side, which is the negative side of the spiritual life. If in a way you cannot let go, then it would be difficult for you to gain traction in the spiritual life. You've got to learn to hold your self-life very loosely before God because God has a spiritual life intended for you and he has the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to live out that life. But then again, what will hinge you towards the spiritual life? Well, it's got a lot to do with your will. Will you give up your will, your way, and your glory. Perhaps the three hardest things for a man to give up, uh, for a woman too, your own will, your own way that you've scripted, and your own glory, your own exaltation. Well, those are the things we want to address in this message, including... The, the need for man to have attention, man to be affirmed, man to have acceptance, man to be awarded, and man to have numerous accolades. All of these are things that are often hindrances to spiritual growth. Christ lived a life of kenosis. He let go throughout his entire human living of his own will, his own way, and his own glory. And I'm astounded how Father God constantly kept filling him. To the extent that he emptied, to that extent he was in a way supplied and empowered and filled. And what a lesson, what a model that is for you and I. Don't be afraid to let go and to hold certain flaws and certain perspectives and paradigms very loosely, certain opinions 
just let it go. Because herein is the heart of kenosis. It's not just that we're supposed to be emptied so that we can be filled. There's something a little bit deeper at play here. And it's simply this. Can you trust the sufficiency of God? See, when you let go of your way, your glory, getting the attention, the affirmation, the acceptance, being awarded with accolades, etc., etc., when none of those things are in your life, can you trust God that He is enough, that He has the answers, that He is the reward, the satisfaction, the comfort, the fulfillment? At the heart of kenosis, it's not a life of suffering, really, not a life, really, of hurting yourself, of nailing yourself to a cross and becoming an ascetic. It's, it's not really becoming some kind of a monk living on the backside of the desert and just sleeping on a bed of nails or castrating yourself or fasting till you are just absolutely skin and bones. That's not really the heart of kenosis. It's trusting God. When I don't have strength, when I don't have the supply, when I don't have the answers or the way, can I trust God that he does? Beloved, is kenosis, is trust a reality of your spiritual life? Kenosis. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We talked about this the other day, but it, it bears repeating. In chapter 5, verse 3, notice Jesus' first statement regarding entrance into the kingdom, life in the kingdom, what it's like to live in God's economy. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word poor in spirit is folk that are devoid from spiritual arrogance, folk that are devoid from grasping, folk that are emptied. And my Bible's commentary would even use the word folk that are unloaded. They, they've, they've stripped and laid it aside and they come humbly before God. There's your secret to the Christian life, humility. Even on the application, we would ask you, what would you say are the secrets of the Christian life? And there, there are many. We would say Christ himself is the secret to the Christian life. But then we say, what in Christ is the secret? That kenosis. Not holding on, not fighting and demanding, but releasing and trusting, and we'll get to that as, as we conclude. The reason you grasp is because you don't trust God. The reason you relinquish is because you've learned to trust God. It's, it's as simple as that. Turn to uh, Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
get even, avenge. But I tell you, do not resist him who is evil. Rather, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And to him who wishes to sue you and make and take your tunic, yield to him your cloak also. Like, take it off. Don't hold on. Give it away. Whoever compels you to go one mile, verse 41, go with him a second. To him who asks of you, give. And to him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. All of that, if you circle that little passage there, just write the word kenosis all over it. It's the principle of the, the, the people of God, the, the folk who are in the economy of God, they, they don't get even, they don't fight, they, 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 they don't war, they empty, they empty, they empty. Look at chapter 6. Verse 19. Here's the principle of kenosis in Jesus' teaching. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust consume it and where the thieves dig through to steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the way that you store up in heaven is by relinquishing. Store rather up in the heavenlies where neither moth nor rust consumes and where the thieves cannot dig and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is evil, your whole body will be dark. Beloved, that is a Hebrew idiom for grasping versus relinquishing. Let me explain. What the Lord is saying is, have your eye focused on one thing. That is, do not be divided in your focus. Don't grasp for money and for heaven. Because a person who is divided in his focus, who grasps here and grasps there, that person cannot see. Like even like some of you. Like do this whole thing with your eye. Try to like focus on two different things. Do that. It's impossible. We are even designed to focus on one thing. And this is a Hebrew idiom. Focus on God or focus on the world. You can't have it both ways. But if you focus on God and your eye is single towards God, then you will understand and you will see and you will have light. But if your eye is divided and you're all cockeyed <laughs> and you focus on the world that you're grasping for and for God, then you're not, it's not going to work. This is an issue of being divided versus consecrated. Consecrated, one-sided, one mind, one pursuit. So the Lord would go on in verse 24. He says, um, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have your eye divided. For either you will hate the one and you will love the other or you will... Hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't grasp for the world and grasp for God. That's why it's not going to work in your spiritual life. Verse 25. Because of this I say to you, don't be anxious. 
as to what you should eat or what you should drink or for your body, what you should put on. Those of you who have issues with clothing, to look cute, oh, does this may look, may look better? Oh. There's nothing wrong with wearing a nice shirt. Iron it, you know, once in a while. But those of you, does this outfit work? Can I try yours? Oh. You're grasping for an image that should be of God, not of culture. It's awfully quiet, because I'm sure you disagree with me. What should I put on? The Lord says, is life not more than food? And the body, is it not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the heaven. They don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't gather into barns, and your heavenly Father nourishes them. Of how much more value are you? Who by being anxious can add one cubit to his stature? And why are you anxious concerning clothing? Consider well the lilies. Every time you guys have an issue with clothing, you just need to go look at the flowers. Hmm. Okay. There's the Lord's answer. He says, go look at the flowers. Verse 29, I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was decked out like one of these. If God so arrays the grass of the field, which is here today and is burned tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. For all of these things the Gentiles are anxiously seeking. There's your word, anxiously grasping. They're insecure. Your heavenly Father knows you need uh, uh, these things. Look at verse 33. But rather seek first the kingdom of God. Grasp for the things of God. And all of these things will be added unto you. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on this earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man at odds against his father, um, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And he who loves his father or his mother above me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or his daughter above me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his own cross And follow after me is not worthy of me. Look at verse 39. He who finds, the person who grasps for the self-life, he's going to lose it. And he who loses and relinquishes his soul life for my sake, that person will find it. There's your principle of kenosis versus grasping. Surrender, release, and trust. Versus fear, anxiety. The entire Gospel of Matthew is littered with these passages where the Lord invites you to empty. And Paul would come now and say, Hey, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. He emptied himself. Now, if you want to live in the church life and you want to live in a vibrant spiritual rhythm with God, don't seek cities and culture, and entertainment, and self-justification, and self-righteous, and self Learn to live a life that turns the other cheek. That is empty. Be humiliated. 
take the punch, give the coat, die, take up the All of these invitations is for the man who wants to live in the kingdom of God. Is everybody with me? There's a couple of more things I uh, wanted to bring to your attention real briefly. Um, Wendy and I, we were visiting a little bit this weekend, and I said, Wendy, Wendy's much more in touch with this culture because she's from this culture. I'm from Africa. So, I'm a, a little out of touch with this culture. I said, Wendy, what are the things people are grasping for? Let's get real. Metaphorically, in the biblical narrative, cities, culture. So I said, wife, help me out. What are folk grasping for? And Wendy came up with these. Number one. These are her words. This is from an American to Americans. She said, the number one thing probably our generation is grasping for is attention. Somebody, please notice me. Because it's, it's, God is not enough. I mean, I, I can't have just God notice me, seriously. So the reason we do certain things or don't do certain things or sometimes the way we groom or dress or whatever, it's like, could somebody please just notice that I'm around? Grasping. Number two, affirmation. Could somebody please just praise me? It's not enough to notice me. It's not enough to just say, oh, I see you. What our generation is craving for and grasping for is can somebody just please write a song about me? Write a poem about me. Praise me a little bit. And you've noticed on America's Got Talent or American Idol, when one man says, you know, you're the worst thing I've ever seen in the entertainment. Have you noticed how focused, like what? That's not what my mama said. (laughs) We all need to be validated. I get that. And we call those strokes. We all need to be stroked. And there is a healthy stroking of our ego. But some of us are grasping, like it's not enough for God to say, I love you. Like, That's why we tweet like we tweet and post like, just can somebody please say that I'm wise? Can somebody please say I look pretty? Can somebody praise me? Number three, can somebody please accept me? Acceptance. Desperate for acceptance. So I'll do drugs. I'll sleep around. I'll, I'll just do whatever. You just please accept me. We're grasping. That is, include me. Um, Wendy tells me, and, and I've, I've seen my fair share of this, when somebody did not invite you to the wedding, or you didn't get invited to that special party, or you were excluded, just about every Christian we know buckles, and they crash, and they turn belligerent again. Why? Why? 
God, that you do this? Why am I not the maid of honor? It's that grasping, because why? This is satanic temptation ever since the beginning. Oh, God's not enough? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's hiding from you. So you and I, in our stupor, we then grasp vaingloriously for the things of this earth. And it just, it, it never has worked. It'll never work. And what disturbs me is, I'm talking about us as Christians that have never learned kenosis and the principle of the man of God. It's the principle where you have to be left alone. You have to be rejected. You have to be overlooked. Why? So you could find your comfort in God, your identity in God. Even though things don't add up in the natural, the man of God needs to get to that place where he's no longer fickle. He's okay. You can't shine for God, speak for God, or bear God's testimony if you're like tossed all over the place. It's just not going to happen. Number four, again, this is my wife. This is not me. You can go take her on over these issues if you have any beef with it. Could somebody please just award me? I know I pulled only five weeds, but where's my trophy? Can somebody please just reward me? That's why even my kids, sometimes I'm working on them. We're consumers. We're not givers. Christ was not a consumer. He was a giver, an emptier. And my kids don't hardly want to do anything anymore just because it's your place in life. We need to be rewarded. And so everything becomes a bargaining chip. Dad, if I pick up the shoes in my room, which is something you just need to do, what will you give me? Grasping. Because it's not enough to just put my shoes away and have personal dignity in my bedroom. No, I need to be rewarded. <laughs> it's the same with God. It's not enough to just hang out with God and just enjoy. No, you owe me. I put in an hour this morning. What will thou doest for me? See, I fasted 21 days. You better show up. Bargaining chip. Most of us use fasting. We emaciate ourselves. Women cut themselves as a bargaining chip with God. You owe me compassion. You owe me a breakthrough. See how I'm hurting? And some of us, we just never get a personality, so we are rejected. We don't make any friends. See how I'm rejected? No. It's just because you're afraid to greet people. But that's another story. We love playing this masochistic game, and we hold it as a chip. We're grasping. So we're, we need this reward of sorts. And then lastly, we want accolades. We grasp for accolades. That is, could somebody honor me, exalt me? And then again, all of this, this happened in Isaiah chapter 14. I will exalt myself. I will settle my throne. I, I, I. The word I in the Greek is this word, 
ego. The actual Greek word for I is ego. And I call it everybody's greatest obstacle. So with that, let's wrap it up in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Notice what Paul says about his ego. You know this. You've heard a hundred sermons on this because this is a cornerstone verse for the Christian life. It just, this is it. There's three things that fuel this ego, guys. We will talk about it as we go along. Will, way, and glory. These are the three things that I is after. They fuel the I life. They fuel the self life. My will, my way, for my glory, for my honor, for my notice, for my exaltation. Glory includes all of those A words we just described. So Christ, when He came, He gave up the ego. He gave up the will and the way and the glory. And He derobed Himself, we might say, declothed Himself. And He lived emptied before God. And Paul says, this mind needs to be in you. Before God, you need to have such an emptying. And Paul picked up on this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You know this. Come on. You can read with me. I am crucified with Christ. Read it in the, uh, in the Greek a little bit. Ego is crucified with Christ. Then he says... It is no longer the ego that lives. What's the ego after? The will, the way, and the glory for the self. Paul's like, it's no longer my will that lives. No longer my way that lives. I'm not grasping for anything. I am dead. This is Paul's way of describing kenosis for himself. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. Amen. So, a quick little comforting message this morning. Just the heart of God. Die. Die. But when we say die, when Jesus says, pick up your cross, He's not asking you to bleed yourself out. He's not asking you to hurt yourself and fast yourself and sleep on a bed of thorns. This is how the carnal man interpreted it in church history. When the Lord says die, He's basically saying die to life as you have it, as you script it, as you control it and predict it. Die to the ego. Die to the self-exaltation. The cross really meant humiliation. In the end of you, He's inviting folk to be emptied. And where does that leave you and I in the spiritual life? I watch how so many of us are grasping instead of trusting. So there it is. In a nutshell, if you want to be the man of God in this earth, then you're going to experience a stripping from God the way Abraham experienced it, the way Moses or let's say even Joseph prior to Moses 
every man and woman of God experienced a systematic stripping, a stripping of your wisdom, a stripping of family, uh, of control, a stripping of the predictable, a stripping of funding and opportunity. God will strip you. Why? Because you're learning to live the kenosis lifestyle. It's wonderful. But what happens is we fight. Oh, no, God, you can't touch this. Oh, no, God, you can't go there with me. You can't send me to another country. I don't know the language. I don't have the money. Yay. Then I can fill you. Then it could be for my will, my way, and for my glory. Yay. So, beloved, you won't go on with God if you keep building your own city, amuse yourself, and entertain yourself, and make weapons of war against your family and your brother. And you keep grasping for privilege and status, and please notice me and reward. As long as you live that life, you will miss out on the presence of God. So here's a lesson for the spiritual life. Study the life of Jesus and watch how he ongoingly got emptied. And then Paul would say, it was not only for him. It's also for you. So the next time God's will goes this way and your will goes that way, then empty yourself from your will. Say, okay, God, no longer my will, but... When God's way says it's going to look like this, but you script it, it should look like this, this is the way, then what do you do? You empty. Yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. You, you, you don't hold on and fight your God. It looks like this. And you're doing that because you seek your own glory. And here is the satanic at work at its purest against God. Who's the one that will be known and shining and emanating? The glory of God or the glory of the satanic? And that's what Satan did in Isaiah. Oh, notice me. Like donkey and Shrek. Shrek needs to go fight. It's like, is anybody going to go with me? And Donkey's like, pick me, pick me, pick me. That's what we do. Oh, pick me. Notice me. And that's what Satan did. Oh. So there is your secret to the spiritual life for today. It's not a pretty one, but you have to give some thought to it. Amen. Throughout Christendom, this principle of kenosis has often been misconstrued, uh, misrepresented, misinterpreted. For instance, in the ascetic movements throughout church history, notably the 3rd and 4th century, where a lot of men and women flocked to the desert to go live separate lives, ascetic lives, strict austere, disciplined lives of 
um, simplicity and of meagerness and of limitation and of suffering, a lot of those folk uh, went into the desert with this aim to mortify the flesh. They went in a way to go and declare war on the flesh and to empty their flesh, notably from its sexual passions. That is a topic I would love to discuss with you at a later time. But be it as it may, many of these men, they discovered within their humanity there is this need for sexual fulfillment and, let's say, sexual intimacy with a spousal figure. And uh, a lot of them suppose that if I can go to the desert where there are no women and there is no culture and it's absolutely God-forsaken and destitute, then there I can now finally live a holy life. And so they pursued kenosis, but in a, in a way of the flesh, by the flesh, they try to mortify the flesh. Paul speaks in Romans chapter 8 how by the Spirit we can put to death the deeds of the body and we will live. But a lot of these monks and these ascetics, as we would call them, and within the Jewish culture there was also an ascetic branch and they are known as the Essenes. They live there in the Qumranic community on the shores of the Dead Sea in Israel. And they lived very, very meager lives. Very, very austere, very rigid. And there was this one aim to empty the flesh, empty the flesh, and be at war, so to speak, with the flesh. That is not really the heart of kenosis. God is not against your humanity. God is not, God made the man and the woman with a body with the desires for intimacy, with the desire for sexual pleasure and connection and and spousal intimacy within marriage. This this is of God, but it got misinterpreted and misconstrued by, by many men and women throughout the church age that then said, hey, kenosis is strictly a war against the flesh. And then they would Quote Paul, who said, you know, I discipline my flesh. I I buffet my own flesh. I'm not so sure Paul hurt himself. I am not so sure Paul took a whip and beat himself and castrated himself like Origen did. Kenosis is not so much a focus on your flesh and its weaknesses and how I've got to deal with these demons in my body. The heart of kenosis is can I trust God? It's, it's more of an issue of my will. Can I let go of my own will, my own way, for my own results, my own glory? Kenosis is not about suffering, really, crucifixion, hurt and pain. It's more about, can I trust God? Because there's many of us that can constantly war and fight our flesh, but we're not really putting our trust in God. It's as though our confidence is in our own flesh. 
I want you to hear Paul's admonition to the ecclesia, the church community in the locality of Colossae. He wrote a letter to them and also to the Laodiceans, and we have that in the New Testament as the letter to the Colossians. In chapter 2, Paul really goes after this thing of self-mortification, this, this excessive focus on the, on the flesh. Because at that time, people began to have this focus on their flesh. And it, it really comes from Gnosticism, a sect uh, springing from the, the Greco-Roman culture that, that jumped over into Christianity. And it purported that anything material... Even the body that is made of flesh and bone, of material substance, is evil. And so anything within that body, food, pleasure, imagination, creativity, anything pertaining to the body is inherently evil, Gnosticism purported. And so a lot of Christians bought into this theory that if I really want to please God, oh, if I want to be a blessing to God, I have to hurt this flesh because the flesh is evil. And Gnosticism even went so far as to say Christ could not have had flesh. Christ could not have been a real man. Maybe he was a ghost or an apparition or uh, he was some figment of our imagination maybe. And that thought crept into the Colossian community. And in chapter 2, Paul goes after this. But I want to read for you in chapter 2 from verse 20 through verse 23. If you died with Christ from the elements of the world, why, as living in the world, do you subject yourselves then to ordinances? Ordinances that says, don't handle this, or don't eat and taste that. Or don't touch this. See, this was Gnosticism. Don't touch a woman. Don't eat certain delicate foods because anything in the material world is inherently evil. And so if you partake of that, then you are in a way in league with evil. And a Christian cannot be fully human. A Christian really is somebody who escapes his humanity. Paul says, you died with Christ. The world should have no sway over you. Even though you live in this world, you're seated with him in the heavenly places. Set your mind on the things above. Don't get all hung up on on the issues and the affairs of this world. What should I eat? What should I not eat? Where should I go? Jesus even spoke about that. Paul says, these things all perish with use. In other words, they have no lasting influence over you. Don't do this. Don't go here. Don't touch this. Don't eat this. Don't, don't, don't. It's, it's very pharisaical. And, and Paul says all these things will pass away. They, they pertain to nothing in the spiritual life. Certainly nothing in pertaining to eternity. Paul says these things, they perish according to the commandments and the teachings of men. These are just the inventions of man. Then verse 23. These things, don't eat this, don't touch this, don't, don't, don't. These things may have a reputation of wisdom 
it, it, it seems to be a wise thing. But it's really a self-imposed worship. It is a fake humility. It is a fake pseudo-spirituality. It's made up and scripted by your own self. It's not really kenosis. It's you controlling your own tradition and custom and your own little religion of what you think, according to your concept, the spiritual life is all about. Paul says these are self-imposed worship rituals, so to speak. And you pretend to be lowly and meek and humble when you punish your body. That is, when you treat it with severe treatment. And then he goes on, he says, these things are of no value against the indulgence of your flesh. Kenosis is not about you punishing yourself. It is not you trying to improve yourself or trying to subdue yourself. If you could have improved yourself, you would have. If you could have corrected this and that about yourself, you would have by now. If you could have gotten rid of this and that evil thing within you, then by now you would have. You see, the desire to do good is within all of us. And that desire to punish the flesh, that may be a good desire, but Paul says it's not going to work for you. Why? Because you're not really putting your confidence, your trust, and your reliance on God. So, beloved, here is the heart of kenosis, is to trust God. If God says, give up this, then I need to trust that His Spirit will supply me the necessary strength to give up this. Don't just go on a crusade against yourself. That's not kenosis. Kenosis is the true worship of God through the real trusting of God's supply. And when the Spirit says, go left, but your will wants to go right, then can you crucify that will by putting your trust in God? See, that is the real crucifixion, is to trust God. I suppose anybody can take a whip and, and beat themselves, but does that, does that change your will? That's not the issue here. What is the spiritual life? It is a life of kenosis, but what's at the heart of it? Can I look past my flesh, my weakness, my will? And can I say, God, I trust you. <laughs> 